Uh, but we are starting our Christmas series today. And, and let me tell you how this is going to go. We did the same thing last year for the first time, and we're doing it again this year. Um, same setup. We're starting our Christmas series today. It's going to be a seven-part series. You might be thinking, it's Christmas. Seven parts. Like, what is there to talk about? There's lots to talk about. And uh, you will see today, I'm actually not even going to get through my entire study today. I'm going to have to cut a bunch of stuff out, but it is what it is, okay? But we're going to start today, then we will pick up uh, part two on Wednesday night, when, I'm, when we're in the sanctuary together, and then next Sunday we'll get part three. So if you come on Sundays only, when you come next Sunday, you're going to have part three, and then you're going to like, wait a minute, are we missing something in here or whatever? Um, now, so I would encourage you to join us on Wednesdays, and if you can't, um, then the videos, Matt always puts the videos on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. So you can always get on YouTube, find us there, the Fusion Youth, and then you can watch, you know, all the different parts and put the whole series together because each one will build upon the other. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so today we, we are going to start in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, look at a very, a very popular Christmas verse, and then we will take off on a journey and we will come back to that verse, and then we will finish up in chapter 8. And we're going to move quickly, and I'm actually going to have to skip a lot. Um, in preparing, I was so excited. I love Christmas, and I just had like all these different verses highlighted. And then in the previous service, it was like by the time I was, I felt like I had just started, and I looked at the clock, it was like 15 minutes left. It's like, oh my goodness. So we had to rip through it all. Um, so that's what we're doing. Okay. Does anybody care? Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Matt. Thank you very much. He, he doesn't, he doesn't really care, but he's, he does. Jonathan cares too. Okay. Okay. All right. Here's where we're at. There are going to be two main divisions in our study time today. The first one, we are going to look at the darkness of doubt. And then the second part, which will be a very small part, but it's a, it's a big, but it's short will be the true light. Now, our series is called True Light. And if the lowercase t there at the top is driving you insane, don't blame me, blame John. Because in John chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it for you. But if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, in John chapter 1 verse 8, John, writing about John the Baptist actually, he was actually introducing us to John the Baptist. And he said this about John the Baptist. He said, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So he's pointing out that John was sent to bear witness, to be a witness for Jesus, who was the true light. Okay? And then it says in verse 9, that was the true light, lowercase t, uppercase L, true light, which gives light to every man, and I think I can add safely, woman and child, every man, woman, and child, coming into the world. So in John chapter 1, though we do not get, uh, it's funny, in John's gospel, we do not get an account of the, the, the pregnancy and birth of Jesus. But John just kind of jumps right into the story of Jesus, but what we do is, what we do get is this, he encapsulates it for us and tells us that this was the true light. Jesus was the true light, which illuminates every person coming into the world. And we, listen, we love Christmas lights. How many of you have Christmas lights up at home, outside in your house? Okay, very good. Those are the godly people. Those of you that don't, let's get with it, man. It's December. What is it, December 3rd already? Is it the 3rd? Goodness. Um. Mine went up the day after Thanksgiving, okay? I'm not being prideful. I'm just proud, okay? But anyways, I, put, I, I love the light, but we love lights, right? right? We, we put lights up outside. We put them inside, on the mantle, around the house. You know, some of you have moms that just, man, they just deck the place out. You bring a tree into your house, whether it's real or fake, whatever. You put this tree up, and then you put lights around that, and uh, 
those lights are, I mean, you know, colorful lights, white lights, whatever, you know, you could do a classic or you go LED or whatever you do. You know, the, the lights, man, that's, that's something special. But, but the light, you can put, you can do all of your decorating and it looks fantastic. You stand back, you go, oh man, I mean, we look at the room right now and uh, Emily did uh, pretty much all of this. But we look around and we go, oh man, that's so cool, you know, and uh, look how beautiful that is. But if we were to flick the lights off in the room, um, it, it, we would get, we'd get the full effect. Then it would be like, oh, ah, you know. We have ceremonies, you know, at, um, at the Mission Inn. The day after Thanksgiving, there was the, the, the light uh, switching on ceremony. They had a whole ceremony, man. Whole city comes out, packs the place. Everybody's standing there looking, waiting, waiting, waiting. Timer goes off, flick the switch, boom, all the lights come on. Oh, the collective, you know, gasp and oohs and ahs. We love lights, and there's reason for that. Light is a very good thing. It's not just about the romanticism of it all, but light is a, is a good thing. Um, some of you have experienced the loss of electricity at your house. Rarely ever happens, but from time to time it happens. Anybody ever experienced that? Like at your house? Also, okay. Yeah, so the electricity just goes out. I remember the last time the electricity went out at my house. We were home. This was actually a couple of years ago. It's gone out since, but I mean, when we were all home and it was at night and, you know, you hear a big buzz and then all of a sudden lights are gone and then all of a sudden you know for a split second the panic sets in oh my gosh no wi-fi you know and you're just like what are we what are we supposed to do you know can't turn the tv on can't turn my computer on what are, what, what, what are we gonna do thank god for unlimited right pull the phone out oh that's right i don't need wi-fi unlimited okay we got it like that but i remember that we were there in the house and uh it was kind of warm, and we're all in the front living room area of my house, which is not very big, but we're all there. And um, I remember I was laying on the floor, and it was dark already, and everybody's just kind of like, okay, what are we going to do? It was, you know, my, my, my kids, whatever, they're watching their YouTube videos or whatever. And then um, I looked up this old show that we used to listen to. I used to play this for my kids. It was called Unshackled. I said Unchained in the previous service. Okay, but I lied to them because I don't like them as much as I like you guys. Okay, Unshackled. And it's all of these incredible stories about how people got saved. You know, they used to be drug addicts or they used to be whatever, all these different, and then and then they got saved, man. And there's they have an app. I found an app. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, I got unlimited. So I'm, I'm looking like, oh. And so I start playing Unshackled and all of a sudden, my kid's like, oh, man, like I remember that from when I was little. Then they turn off their phones, and there we were on the, on the living room floor. Everybody's laying down or on the couches, or whatever, and we're listening to these incredible stories, unshackled. Pretty cool. And then, somewhat to our dismay, eventually the lights came back on, you know. But it was that it was that special time of just being there in the dark, you know, and really all you had was the light of your phone or whatever, and you know. But but when the lights came back on, man, I mean that's it was it was that was a good thing. You, we want the lights on, right? Lights are important, but they're, they're, it's, it's something that we take for granted, right? Something that we take for granted. Again, on you know a, a week or two ago, sitting at the Thanksgiving table, I doubt that any of us going around the table you know, and being thankful, I doubt that anybody said, Lord, thank you so much for electricity. We don't do that. We just go, well, I mean, it's, just, it's supposed to be there. It's, you know, it's ours. You know, it's, we have the right or whatever we think. Until we lose, until it's dark and we have no light, then the light becomes that much more important. Well, at Christmas time, we're not talking about now the Christmas tree lights or the lights on the house or whatever those different things. Now we're talking about the true light that came in to this dark world. And as we begin our series today, we are going to begin in Isaiah, and we're going to look at a very well-known Christmas verse. And then what we are going to do is we are going to find out the context for that verse. Because see, you and I can read the verse, and we go, oh, it's a wonderful verse. But we don't get the full impact unless we take a step back from, you know, if we're zeroed in on the verse, we gotta take a step back and look at all that was going on around that verse when it was originally given. 
And then you and I can then enjoy the full impact of that verse. So Isaiah 7, where you are patiently waiting, verse 14. And here's what I need. I need somebody to read that for us out loud. Who can do that? Who can, who can read it for us out loud? Anybody feel crazy enough this morning to read a Bible verse in church? Anybody feeling wild like that? Just feeling like, you know what? I'm kind of feeling out of control this morning. I think I'm going to read a Bible verse at church. Anybody feeling the way? Come on, girl. Go. So it's uh, verse 7, or not verse 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Wonderful, Cassie. Thank you so much. Very well read. We've all heard that. If you, if you, if it doesn't sound familiar to you, I mean, it should. And if it doesn't, I guarantee you it will in the next week or two or three, because you're going to see it on a Christmas card. Anybody received Christmas cards yet from family or friends? I have, <laughs> but you're going to see that, or you're going to go to Hobby Lobby. You'll be out shopping. You go to Hobby Lobby, and you'll see you know one of their signs, and it'll have this verse on. The virgin shall be with child. Ah. Now, we've all heard that since we were little, right? I was brought up in a Catholic home. Um, I actually went to a Christian school for a couple of years when I was real young. Um, but but so, so the verse, I, I've heard it forever. And especially because I grew up, I want to be Catholic, really, but because I grew up in a Catholic home, I mean, man, we worship the Virgin Mary. La Virgen. We, that's what we did. That was part of what we did. And so this is no, I'm no stranger to this. But, but we stop for a moment to consider this. As we get into the Christmas season, we slow down and we go, man, what, 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 what is going on here? Think about this. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Got to stop there. We don't need to go any further than that because that doesn't make any sense. Must be a mistranslation. Must have misspoke. This is crazy. You can't have a virgin who hasn't had any kind of relation, but she's pregnant. Makes no sense. However, you and I understand, we know the Christmas story well. Tonight, we're going to celebrate it. We will have our own Mary and Joseph out there and, you know, baby Jesus. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have all this. It's we know it. Well, yeah, that's, we do that every year. That's what we do. Put up a manger scene at home. I've got a manger scene on our piano, okay? It's... Um, uh, biblically inaccurate, but I put it up anyways because I'm, I'm just kind of crazy like that, okay? And, and so we, we, it's very familiar to us. But a virgin shall conceive and bear a son? What? How is that even possible? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to get into this first section here, and I'm going to cut out quite a bit, okay? So you'll be thankful. But where we're going to do, we're going we're gonna to go on a journey, so 2 Chronicles, it's up there for you, 28 is where I want you to turn in your Bibles. 2 Chronicles 28, I'll give you a minute, no big rush, nobody's pressuring you, I'm not looking at you, you know, and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe they don't know what Chronicles is. Second Chronicles. It does go in order. First Chronicles is right before, and then Second Chronicles right after that. Second Chronicles 28. While you are looking for that, I will put a throat lozenge in my mouth, and hopefully that will keep my throat from doing what it did on Wednesday night. I came in here Wednesday night, and I thought I was ready, man. I was like, nah, I got this. Let's go. And then I just like almost choked to death like four times. You know, it's terrible, terrible. So, all right. Sounds like the Bible pages have stopped turning. So I'm assuming you're there. Second Chronicles 28. You know what? You know what I should do? I should go to Second Chronicles 28. Okay. I'm telling you guys. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There we go. Second Chronicles 28. Now, what we have in 2 Chronicles 28 is the account of a man named Ahaz. I'll, some of these things can become confusing. I will explain 
just what we need to know for today. Okay, there's a lot more, uh, lots of names that are interchangeable, but I'm going to do my best to keep it simple. Now, it says in verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. 20 years old. Anybody in here 18 years old? I know sometimes we have some 18-year-old students. No? 17. 17? One? Okay, two. Two of you. Okay? Imagine that. Imagine in three years, somebody hands you a kingdom. Goodness, what would you do? Right? My mind goes wild. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. That means he was 36 years old when he stopped reigning in Jerusalem. Came to an abrupt stop when he died. <laughs> and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. Now his father David means was not a direct, well he was a direct descendant, but it was later on. Okay, this wasn't like David's immediate son. Okay, it means that he came from the line of David. Now, it says that he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. We, we immediately would go, Jerusalem, that's like a holy city. That's like, that's, you know, that's where God's at. That's where God's people are. But then we read this in verse 1. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And we go, wait a minute, that's weird. I thought he was like a king over God's people. Why would he not do what was right on the side of the Lord? Well, it may surprise you to find out that many of the kings did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Many of them were wicked. Ahaz was one of the best, man. You'll see that. In verse 2, it tells us why. Why he, was, why he didn't walk. What, what was it about him that wasn't right? Verse 2, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now, hold on. Let me explain something to you, and then this will help you for the rest of the time. He was a king in Jerusalem, but he walked in the ways of the king of kings of Israel. What, what, what's going on here? Jeru now, at this time that we are reading, 2 Chronicles 28, the kingdom was split up into two. Now, there was, there was all of Israel, okay, the whole country, but there had been a civil war, and it had been split up. And there were 10 of the tribes were part of the northern kingdom, which was referred to as Israel. That was referred to as Israel. Then the southern kingdom was two tribes. And that was referred to as Judah or Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of that southern part. Okay? Everybody with me so far? All of it's Israel. But at this time, it's referred to as the northern part is Israel the southern part is referred to as Judah. Ahaz is reigning in the southern part. He's the king in the southern part. And it says that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Well, how did they walk? With a limp. No, I'm just kidding. How did they walk? And made molded images for the Baals. Now, you've been with me on Sunday mornings. So all of you know what I'm talking about. When I say molded images, that means that they made idols. It means that all of the people in the land were idolaters. Now, isn't that a trip? Because you and I, here's what you and I are doing right now. You and I have just taken a break from Deuteronomy, and they're being warned, don't be making idols, man. You make idols, you're going to be in trouble. What you and I have done is we've just jumped some generations to the future, 2 Chronicles 28, and we are reading now, ah, made idols so something went wrong in between deuteronomy and second chronicles 28 they were told not to make idols then we skipped years and now here we are and they're making idols okay they were a hot mess we're gonna find that out that's what we're doing so they made molded images for the baals what else did they do verse 3 second chronicles 28 he that's ahaz this is the king this is the king of jerusalem he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now, what does that mean he burned incense? We go, what was, what's wrong with incense? Well, nothing except that he was burning them to the idols. He was, they were offerings to the idols. And then it says in verse 3, you guys are great students. You'll know what I'm talking about here. Verse 3, and burned his children in the fire. This is the king of Jerusalem. The king 
that was reigning over God's people in the southern part of the country. He burned his children in the fire. Anybody know what that's referencing? Anybody want to take a wild guess as to as to what they're talking? Yes. So is it like with the idols, with the hot hand, when they put the babies on the hands and burn them to death? That's exactly what it is, Cassidy. Thank you very much. Anybody remember the name of that idol? Molech. Molech, yes. Thank you guys very much. Now I can sleep with a little bit of peace tonight. Like, okay, somebody's learning. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And so what we're told here, now we've been warned about it right back in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We've heard all about it. We, we know. That's what the people in the land are doing. Well, this is many years later. They're in the land. And guess what? Not only are the people doing it, but the king is doing it. It says that he burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He was a full-on idolater. It says in verse 4, And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. They would go up into the hills, and they would build themselves altars all throughout the hills to their idols, to their so-called gods. Their thinking was, the closer we can get to heaven or our gods, the better. Okay? They didn't understand Listen, man, you could be sitting on the toilet and God could be there with you. They don't understand that. And so you would be, you might be walking into a city and you look up at the hills and it could be filled with altars. People up there worshiping, burning incense, burning whatever, animals, all kinds of crazy sexual practices that went along with idolatry. It was a mad mess. And it says in verse five, therefore the Lord has, now because of, therefore, because of all of this, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. So because he was doing this, God gave him over to the king of Syria. It says, Syria, they defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. Now look at this in verse 6. Some of you are familiar with the war that's currently happening in Israel. It started on October 7th. Okay, anybody remember how many people were killed on October 7th? Anybody remember early reports were coming in? They said, man, there was hundreds of people killed or taken captive. And then the number went up into the thousand. You know, it was a thousand, it was this many people. Look at this number in verse six. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day. They were all valiant men because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. 120,000 people in one day, men, were murdered, killed, because they had turned their back on God. Now, you and I have this challenge. The challenge is that you and I, we pick up our Bible because we believe it to be true and we read it. But there's a separation that takes place. We go 120,000, just the men. We haven't even read about the women and children, boys and girls. We'll get to that in a minute. 120,000. But we, 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 we disassociate ourselves with that. We go, well, that's, boy, that's a lot of people. But somewhere in our mind, we go, ah, but that's not really people. It's just a Bible story. This is an account. It's called a chronicle, Second Chronicles. It is also the same account is found in Second Kings 16. Some variations in there, a little differences, a little bit more info. That's the, we can't, I was planning on going to Second Kings 16 after this. We can't because we don't have time. 120,000 people one day. These were people. Uh, I mean, people, flesh and blood, who in one day were murdered. And then it says in verse 7, Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Maaseah, the king's son, Azrakam, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was second to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren, 200,000 women, sons and daughters, 
And they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. Now, how many of you have been to the Rose Bowl? Anybody ever been to the Rose Bowl? Anybody? You guys never been to the Rose Bowl? Isn't that crazy? We live in Southern California and we've never been to so many of these places. Rose Bowl. I was at the Rose Bowl July 4th, <laughs> earlier this year. Greatest day of my life. Because LA Galaxy beat LAFC in the Rose Bowl. We left champions, man. Okay? Anyways, the Rose Bowl, from what I understand, holds somewhere between 60 to 70,000 people. So imagine we fill up the Rose Bowl. 60, 65,000 people. I've seen it full. It was full when I was there. Fill it up. Kill them all, using a sword, spear, bows and arrow, whatever. Kill them. Get all of them out. Fill it up with another 60, 65, 70,000 people, and then kill all of them. And one day, that's what's going on here. 120,000 people died. And then, and then we learned that 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, they took them away captive. <laughs> now, stop for a minute. Pause for just a minute. Let me ask you a question. Does this sound like a Christmas message? <laughs> what, in the, what are we even talking about? I thought this was a Christmas series. What are we talking about? 120,000 people dead. 200,000 uh, women, uh, boys and girls taken. Like what? What? The king is sacrificing his own children. Uh, the, 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 he's, he's involved in all the, all the, 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 the nasty practices of idolatry. Uh, everybody's wicked. People dying everywhere. Does that sound like a Christmas message to you? And yet, and yet somewhere buried inside of here, we'll get to it. It's going to make sense. Stick with me. Somewhere buried inside of there, behold, a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. It's like, wait a minute. We started out talking about the lights and Christmas, and, you know, where's it at, man? Where'd all that go? Well, we cannot get the full impact of the light unless you and I understand the darkness that the light pierces. Once we understand the darkness, then all of a sudden that light is going to be like, oh, my gosh. It's going to be like losing the electricity at your house for a while. Which means you have to go to bed without your nightlight. Watch out. Losing that light. And then the electricity comes back on. Boom. I got light again. Then we understand in that moment, the dark was dark. But now we got the light. And then we can rejoice. Right now we're in the midst of the dark. We read on. Verse 19, 2 Chronicles 28, verse 19. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Also, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. For Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. Now, we do not have time to go further on in Second Chronicles, but there at the end, we get a key to what you and I are talking about today. And the key is this. What does this have to do with the book of Isaiah? This is Ahaz. Isaiah was sent as a prophet to Ahaz. Why? Did Isaiah get sent to Ahaz because of all of this mess? And specifically because Ahaz had made a secret treaty with Assyria. There was Syria and Assyria. The Syrians were threatening to come and attack. They did attack. The Assyrians were supposed to be backing up Ahaz. He made a secret treaty with them. We're going to find out some more about it in just a little bit. Here's the problem. Ahaz was trusting Assyria rather than trusting God. And because of that, he's gotten a visit from Isaiah. 
and it doesn't go so well. It doesn't go so well. Here's what we need to do. Let's go over to, let's go back to the book of Isaiah, and we are going to do a speed walk through Isaiah chapter 1 through 6. I'm not going to read all of those. In fact, one of those chapters will skip completely. I'm going to highlight certain verses, and then we are going to finish up. We're going to go actually from Isaiah chapter 1 to 6. We will pause in Isaiah 7, and then we will finish in Isaiah chapter 8. Okay? And we've got about 15 minutes here, so bear with me. We're going to go fast. Okay? Yes? All right. Isaiah. Let me get myself there. Isaiah chapter 1. Again, I'm going to highlight some verses. I'm going to try real hard to contain myself. There's so much I want to read. Isaiah 1, verse 2. Oh, 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 oh. No, no, we're good, we're good there. Isaiah 1, verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. What does he say? I have nourished and brought up children, that's Israel, and they have rebelled against me. That's how Isaiah starts out. Okay, there's a problem. Look at verse 4. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Look at verse 7. Your country, here's the bad news. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. The northern Part. Remember I told you there was a civil war. The country right now is split in two. The northern part, Israel. The southern part, Judah. That's where Ahaz is. By this point, the northern part has already been attacked by the Syrians. They, they already have control. Now, they're marching south toward Judah, toward Ahaz. So that's what he's saying. Your country is desolate, man. Cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. It is desolate. It's overthrown by strangers. Verse 11, chapter 1. Here's a question from God. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Now, we won't read anymore. We'll go to chapter 2 in just a minute. But but those of you that have been here through our study of Deuteronomy, Numbers, all these, these uh, Old Testament books, we're going, wait a minute. Why is God questioning their sacrifices? He's the one that came up with that stuff. Was, why is he now saying, I'm tired of your sacrifices? Here's why. If you read on, you find out because what was happening was, they were doing it as a pretense. They were doing it just, just to do it. It would be the equivalent of somebody, none of us, because we're all godly. It would be the equivalent of somebody coming to church and just going through the motions. Matt says, let's all stand for worship. Okay. No. Uh-huh. All right. Yep. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right, sit down, open the Bible. All right, okay, I'm done with all that. It would be the equivalent of somebody just going through the, emotion, through the motions. It wasn't pleasing to God. They were sacrificing. They were doing all the stuff that they were supposed to do, but the heart was all wrong, man, all wrong. It was a mad mess. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, look what God says. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the Light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. This is key, verse 7. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. This, wait a minute. I thought they were in bad shape. They are spiritually, but monetarily, physically, they had abundance. 
The land was filled with gold, horses, chariots, everything they needed. Sound familiar? A country that just has everything it needs in abundance, too much of it, but morally absolutely rotten to the core. Sound familiar? We don't even need to talk about a country. We can talk about a state. We live in SoCal, baby. SoCal. Right? SoCal. Beaches. Nightclubs. Big cities. Go, go, go. You know, hustle. Let's go. We know all about this. Abundance, but at the core, absolutely rotten. That's what was going on here. We go to, we travel to Isaiah chapter 3. Verse 1, for behold... The Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah, talking about the same people. Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. Takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. So right there he's saying, hey, judgment's coming. God's taking everything away. Verse 5, it will get so bad. Here, here's how bad it will get. The people will be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. In other words, everybody's going to turn against one another. It's going to be so bad. There's a little bit of hope in verse 10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. <coughs> a little bit further down in Isaiah 3, verse 16. Gives you an idea. Moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion, that's another name for Jerusalem, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, not hotties, but they evidently were hotties, because they're haughty, prideful. Look what it says. It describes the women and walk with outstretched necks. What's that? It's a Kardashian. Who's looking at me like this? Like, uh, what's up? Hey, who's, who's noticing me? Wanton eyes. So they're looking at the man like, oh, I, you know, I want you. Walking and mincing as they go. Okay? Walking, you know, and doing a special walk to try and get the attention from the men. Making a jingling with their feet. What? It means that they had jewelry on their ankles. Bangles. You know, things that would make noise to draw attention. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In other words, the Lord's going to strip them of all that they have and leave them standing naked. We don't have time to go on and talk about the rest of those things. Isaiah chapter uh, 5, let's skip over to chapter 5. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 5, and now, verse 5, Isaiah 5, 5, and now please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard, God says. This is, he's talking about God's people. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. Isaiah 5, 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We skip now to Isaiah chapter 6 at verse 11. This is the calling of Isaiah. He goes back and he recalls the way that he was called by the Lord. And as he's called by the Lord, the Lord is saying, this is what you're going to go preach. And Isaiah is hearing all of this bad news. And he asked this question. Then I said in verse 11, Isaiah 6, 11, Then I said, how long? Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. Imagine, imagine God puts it on your heart, man, comes to you in a dream or speaks to you and says, listen, I'm going to send you to preach to all of your neighbors. And you go, okay, what am I, I going to tell them? Tell them that there's a time of judgment coming and they are all going to be, they're going to lose everything they have and they're going to, in fact, be taken out of the land, away from their homes. And they're going to be taken off to some foreign land. Their family members will be killed. The, 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 the country will be destroyed. Imagine. Isaiah's got a heart. He's like, 
how long is this supposed to last? Like, what? I, I, this is not a good thing. He's heartbroken. And the Lord's like, no, we're, 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 we're going we're gonna to take care of this. We're going to fix this. And then we come to Isaiah 7. Remember where we started? Isaiah 7, 14. In Isaiah chapter 7, it says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem. You go, went up? Yeah. Jerusalem was in the southern part. So wouldn't they be coming down? Well, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is elevated on hills. It's on a hill. Holy Mount Zion. Holy, holy Mount Zion, right? Zion. So it doesn't matter which direction you're coming from. If you're coming from the north, you come down, but then you always go up to Jerusalem. That's what's going on there. And so it says in verse 1, it went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, that's Ahaz, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind, shaking. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz. Now, we have just gotten into the true light section. We're only going to be here for a couple quick minutes and then we're going to be done. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 7 and we will look at three verses in Isaiah chapter 8. But here's where we are at right now. There's a promise being given in Isaiah 7 verses 1 through 14. We're right in the middle of that right now. They're learning the bad news, and then God's going to come with a promise. Okay? So, verse 2, their hearts are shaken. Verse 3 of Isaiah 7, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son. Take your son with you. At the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, go meet him there. And say to him, Take heed and be quiet. So, listen to what I'm telling you. Stop moving. Look, look what he says in verse 4. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands. In other words, these guys are threatening you. These two kings, they're a smoking firebrand. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a piece of wood that's smoldering. It's not even on fire anymore. It's just smoke. It's not even threatening. For the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Verse 5, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying this. This is what they say. Verse 6, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Thus says the Lord God in verse 7, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. These people that are threatening you, God says, within 65 years, they won't even be a people anymore. God's going to judge them. And in verse 9, look at this. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. You go, man, I don't understand all of this. Here's what you need to understand. The second part of verse 9. He says, if you will not believe... Surely you shall not be established. What is that? God is saying, if you do not place your faith in me, if you don't trust me, then this is not going to work out. You are not going to be established. We know what that's like, right? When we don't trust God, we got no peace, man. We got no peace. Then we're fumbling through life and we're, you know, we're laying down at night trying to go to sleep and our minds just won't stop, man. And we're worried about whatever the situation is. Mom and dad, you know, arguing, yelling at each other. What's going to happen? Are they going to get divorced? What's going to happen to me and my siblings? Uh, grandma's sick. Uh, this stuff going on at school. What about the teacher? All the, the different things, man. And they, and, they, and they come flooding in. And if we do not trust God, if we do not believe, then we will not be established. We have no foundation. We're shaking like the trees in the forest when the wind blows them. So God is saying, Ahas, don't trust Assyria. Trust me. I'll establish you. I'll, I'll, I'll put you on firm ground. 
He goes on to say in verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So, so as Isaiah is prophesying to Ahaz, he goes, Look, here's the promise from God. And then he tells him, God wants to give you a sign that this is really going to happen. Ask anything from the heights to the depth. Just ask anything, any, it's as crazy as you can think. Ask. And Ahaz in verse 12 says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. You see, he sounds real holy. He goes, nah, I don't want to test the Lord. That's not me. No, he didn't want to test the Lord because he already had a secret alliance with Assyria. He wasn't trusting the Lord. He was trusting the Assyrians. And so in verse 13, then he, then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Isaiah says, look, you play games with people. You're going to try to play games with God also? And I love this in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. I, so what just happened was, Isaiah said, Ahaz, God sent a promise. He's going to help you if you trust him. You don't believe me? Ask for a sign. Ahaz goes, nah, I don't want to test the Lord by asking for a sign. Isaiah goes, he's going to give you one anyways. I love that. You want to hear something cool? I'll tell you anyways. Okay? And in verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we go, oh, man, that's the Christmas verse. That's where we started. I know. And against this dark background, it becomes that much brighter. Against this bleak background, it becomes so much brighter. Now we understand, oh, that's what he was talking about. But this is what doesn't make sense to, this is what doesn't make sense to me. He was giving this prophecy to Ahaz. But Jesus wouldn't be born for a long time after that. So how, how, is that, how is that supposed to be comforting? Man, I'm so glad you asked. Let's finish in Isaiah chapter 8, the very next chapter. Look at verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said to me, this is Isaiah speaking, take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hashbaz. What is that? And I will take for myself... Faithful witnesses to record, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. Then I went, Isaiah says, then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. You go, what, what, what's all, all that about? Understand this, that Bible prophecy oftentimes would have a partial fulfillment and then a full fulfillment it would oftentimes have an immediate fulfillment and then a later fulfillment this prophecy about the virgin conceiving bearing a son no different classic classic prophecy when isaiah gave the sign and said look the virgin shall be with child give birth to a son come on how's that supposed to happen well, evidently, when it says in verse 3, Isaiah says, Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived. I feel like, what, what, what's going on? What Isaiah is saying is, he's a prophet. He went to the prophetess. Who's the prophetess? His wife. And they did their thing, and she got pregnant. And she gave birth to a son. Now, he already had a son prior to this, so like, was she a virgin or what was going on? Well, some people think that Isaiah, like his first wife died, and then this was his second wife who gave birth to Maher Shalal Hashbaz, and obviously she would have been a virgin when she got married, and then she gave birth, so that would have fulfilled the sign that he had just given to Ahaz. Some people think that uh, Isaiah actually had two wives, and that this wife who gave birth to Maher Shalal Hashbaz actually had not had any kids yet. I don't know which it is. I don't have an answer for that. But it's a classic example of God with 
given a prophecy and then there's the immediate fulfillment, but then there is the later fulfillment. And the later fulfillment for you and I is what's most important for today. This is what we end with. Because the sign that he was getting that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, we understand that to be Jesus. And it's no less important than it was to the people of Judah back then. Because we look around, we live in a great country. I've not traveled extensively, but I've been to some other countries. And the ones that I've been to, this is the greatest. Do we have problems? We got problems, major problems. Do we have issues? We got major issues. I, this is my opinion. I think that America is seeing a decline. It's, there's, there's going to be a great downfall. That's just my, I'm not planning anything, okay, so don't you know, call the authorities on me. But I don't think America is going to get any better. I think that all it's going to do is get worse. There's going to be a decline. This information about this sign about a uh, virgin's going to be used, man, what a great time in our lives to be reminded of this, you know, this Christmas season, as we're headed in, you know, full steam ahead toward the 25th, presents, gifts, all the stuff, which I love. What a great reminder that regardless of the political party that's in power and what's happening morally in our country and the darkness and the evil and the sin and the wickedness and people who are making light darkness and darkness light, everything's backward and messed up. You and I can pause for a moment for the month of December and go, ah, oh, but, but a virgin conceived and gave birth to a son. And he's God with us, Jesus. And we can rejoice in that fact and go, oh man, God, though everything might be falling apart, though mom and dad might be arguing, and maybe there is a breakup in the future. I cannot guarantee there's not. Everything could be falling apart. But in the midst of that, we have the promise of salvation through Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift. But we never would have fully understood that had we not looked at the darkness of doubt. Now we understand the true light. So we had the promise, and then in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we have the proof. The proof. And then, of course, in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we had the proof. Jesus being born of Mary. Father, thank you so much for today. We pray that you would bless the remainder of our day by helping us to stay focused and centered on Christmas. Not all the stuff, but on Jesus. The stuff is good, too, but help us not to get caught up in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas party happening in just a couple of Sundays. Make sure that you get signed up. All the info and the sign-up sheet is on the back counter. Make sure you get your parent permission slip in. God bless you guys. Have a good Sunday. See you tonight. Don't forget, if you want to help with tables, Tegan's going to be out there on the back grass.